We're continuing on with our series today. We have not stopped um, looking at another one of Paul's prayers uh, for the church. We are seeing uh, God answer some prayers in the church. People are praying for things and we're seeing God answer them. We're also seeing the requests increase because people are beginning or are seeing the importance of praying for one another and encouraging one another uh, through uh, prayers and stuff. And we began this series really with this, this quote of why Paul prayed, that Paul's praying for others is the product of his passion for people, the passion that he has for people uh, in the churches. And it brings us to really the, the, the prayer that he prays for the church in, in Colossians, in Colossians 1 verse 9 to 12, which is the fourth one uh, we're going to look at. And this is really where the theme of this, this is the one that I read first in my devotions a few months ago. And just that phrase uh, jumped out at me that we have not stopped and thought that would be a good sermon series to preach and teach on, to encourage us to pray and uh, these words uh, before you on the screen uh, beginning of verse 9 says for this reason since the day we heard about you we have not stopped praying for you we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work growing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Uh, Paul's prayers to each of his churches that he prayed for were always very intentional and purposeful. Uh, we spoke in the first week that we had to make sure that we do not just drift into a life of prayer, uh, but we actually set aside time intentionally to pray for one another. And Paul does that. And it made me think of this as we looked at, uh, at Paul's prayers, that really this summing up is what Paul does throughout all of his prayers, and it encourages us to do it as well. We must pray for others according to his will, in line with his values, in conformity with his character, to achieve his purpose by claiming his promises for those we are praying for. And that's really just explains the importance of why we must continue to pray for one another. Unfortunately, in the Western church today, uh, a lack of prayer is what characterizes much of it. Uh, being guilty of this myself, we will try new ideas, we will try new methods. We will try new programs in church. We will try new leaders in church. Uh, we will change everything until we get down to the truth that really all we really need to do is pray. And we use them as substitutes. Often the Christian church in places like Africa and Asia and South America is growing so much quicker than in the Western church because for a lot of those places, all they, all they really do is pray in the sense of they pray and they believe they don't have the resources, they don't have the, the stuff in a sense that we would look at and say, if we just tried to do this as a church, or if we just tried to do that, if we just tried to do this, really reliance is upon praying for one 
one another. Uh, and so that lack of prayer often characterizes uh, much of the problem that there is in the Western church. Uh, uh, so many times the teaching that comes across uh, in our culture today is almost what makes me happy and how can God sort of give me what I want most in my life? How can I be uh, fulfilled the most in my life? And we're actually running after God's blessing and God's power and, and all those other things in a sense without actually running after him without actually uh, spending our time in his presence getting to know him and, and that's one of the challenges that faces us as a church and often you find that the people that, that look at the Christian life from that side whereby well it's all about me being happy and it's all about me being fulfilled and it's all about me discovering myself uh, when the reality of the Christian life hits that there is often trouble and as Stevie said this morning that there are storms and there are things that are going on in our life our Christian faith and our Christian life often falls apart it crumbles because it's built on that wrong foundation that teaching that sort of that God wants to make me happy all the time and God wants to fulfill all my needs all the time and give me what I want to, and, and bless me all the time and often people struggle there with that and this often comes down to prayer and this leads into a little bit of what Paul is saying uh, this morning because there are often two extremes when it comes to prayer uh, the first one is this it is to never ask or petition God for anything because as Ephesians 1 verse 11 says in him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will uh, and so often people may go to that extreme that says well often there's not much need to devote much time to prayer for God knows already and God has decided already and God has opened the door already and in his sovereignty and by his will and for his purpose and people often look at it and say well God knows what's going to happen and so we're trusting in that really then in the sense believing that prayer changes anything when we come and pray and that's really an extreme of praying but then there is another extreme of praying which is this one which is uh, simply this that, 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 that people do this they simply say well prayer changes everything you know they quote James 4 verse 2 or 1 John, 4, 1 John 5 verse 14 to 15 but particularly this you do not have because you do not ask all I need to do in my prayer life is, is ask God or, or quote the verse in 1 John 5 verse 14 is, that, that says if you ask you know then God will grant you according to his will uh, and often people get confused because that's another extreme of prayer uh, and you know there's these two extremes of prayer and you see if you go with the second one here you know what you have is people who agonize in prayer and and fast much and plead the name of Jesus and and all of those things there's nothing wrong with those but there is if you're using them as almost a process a system to call down blessings from heaven that almost if you get the the words right if you get the the actions right then God will just give you what you want uh, and often when it comes to praying for others that these two extremes don't really capture uh, the balance of biblical praying because what the Bible actually teaches is this is the Bible pictures God both totally sovereign and as a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God there always has to be balance in church 
And often you have to say to people, you know, when you're, when you're leading the church, what you want to do is, you, it's, like, it's like piloting a ship on the sea. If you, if you go too much to one side, the ship will, to, will topple and be imbalanced. And if you go too much to the other side, the ship will topple and be imbalanced. So you've always got to look for the balance view in the middle. And often difficulties come because people don't want the balance view. They want their extreme view. They want their view that is their opinion in a sense. And, and they're right and everybody else is wrong and they can biblically prove it and tell you what they think should happen. And actually when it comes to praying, there is this balanced view that God is both sovereign and he is in control and he has not surrendered his authority and he's up but he is also a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God because the danger often is we see God as somebody we just present our request to as somebody we just give our petitions to and needs to. I thought this is a great illustration that I, uh, I, I read and I thought I want you to for a second picture a child's personal relationship with their father. That the child asks their father for four things and it is within his power to give all four things. But the father has a decision to make. It says, as we know, that it's not always a good idea as parents that our problems are not solved by giving our kids everything they want when they want. Uh, and so therefore, we, this illustration teaches that there are four things that he can do. The first one is this, the father may give one of the things right away because it's his child and they've asked and it'll be something that they need. But the second thing that they ask for, we could delay giving him the second because the, the child presents so many requests to him. It's almost like whimsical or, you know, temporary. Uh, and so therefore, the father thinks, well, no, I'll hold off. And that won't be something I give them because I can see the full picture or something further down the line. Maybe then the father decides on the third thing that he declines giving him the third. Because even though the child wants it, it might not be good for him. It might not be the right thing and it might not be the child's interest. And so the fourth thing he can answer by is this way. He says he sets up a condition for the fourth. Uh, and all of these are within his power to give all four things. But there is a condition almost in a sense and the right atmosphere in a sense or the right thing that has to happen for the child to, to get it. And so maybe he decides that this is maybe not the right time. Now, the child is not assured of any of these things because he uses the right words or he has the right process in a sense approaching the father you see the problem is this and, and this is really what it comes down to you see the wise father is more interested in a relationship with his child rather than just merely giving things away but because giving his child what he, he needs uh, constitutes part of the relationship but certainly not all of it and often that's the difficulty that we have with praying that, that when we come to God, all we see God as sometimes is somebody that we present our request to, that we just give him a list of the things that we need, or if we're in trouble with something, then maybe that's the time to pray. And yet praying and praying for others is so much more than that. And if there's one thing that stands out in this, these verses from Colossians that Paul writes, and summing up the bit I've just said, it's this, that when it comes to prayer, knowing God, is always before asking God. That knowing prayer 
is always before asking God. God's desire is that we spend time getting to know him in his presence, that we don't just come with a list of requests, petitions, and the things that we need almost, uh, without wanting to spend time in his presence. And that's really the message that Paul is teaching the church in Colossians here. His prayer actually begins in the first uh, previous five verses where he thanked God for their faith in Christ Jesus. He, he thanked them for their love for all the saints and the hope that they had that was built up in heaven. But he has his prayer for the church. And the interesting thing about the church in Colossians here is this, this is a church that, that Paul didn't plant and he never visited. This was just simply a church that, you know, he was, he'd heard about, he'd sent somebody else to do it, but he wanted to encourage the church here. Uh, and so he has a prayer for them. And the prayer is simply this, that they would grow spiritually. That's really the prayer, that they would grow spiritually through their knowledge, through their time spent getting to know God. And so then he tells them that, that his request that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that they would walk in a manner worthy, sorry, in a, in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing God in every way. That's the prayer that he has for them here in Colossians. And we did a, a sermon series on walking at the start of the year, but it's so essential, important that we just understand three things about what Paul is praying for them. And the first one, we, we know that walking is a steady progress in a deliberate direction. And then our walk is based on our knowledge of God and our understanding of his will. And this is what Paul wants to try and encourage the church in Colossians. And this is the prayer that he has for them, that actually that this would be nothing to do with emotions and feelings and, and things like that, that actually this is good, concrete foundation growing in maturity in their spiritual lives that their walk would be based on the knowledge of God and the understanding of his will uh, and so to walk worthy of the Lord it simply describes a commitment of will affection and purpose to simply pleasing Christ and so this is the prayer that he that he has for them and he's praying for them this is why he's not stopped praying because like in the other previous weeks he gives the reason why he's praying for them. He is thanking them for their faith in Christ and the hope that they have in heaven and the love that they have for all the saints. But he wants them to experience and he wants them to know more. And so that's why he uses the phrase that we have uh, taken out for our sermon series when he says, we have not stopped. We've not stopped praying for you because he knows that there's more and he wants God to give them more and he wants God to bless them more and this is the way it's going to be but he's telling them you've got to get that that walk bit right first you've got to get that walk bit uh, and so those walk worthy of the calling that you've been given uh, and so in order to live in a manner worthy of the Lord we must be strengthened by power which is something that we shared last week so Paul then lists four things that he's praying for them so the first one is this, that they would bear fruit in every good work. It was something we must understand about uh, fruitfulness. You cannot have fruitfulness in the Christian life until you have faithfulness. Faithfulness precedes fruitfulness. As a matter of fact, it's pointless to pray for other people to be fruitful in their walk with God if they're not being faithful. 
It's as simple as that. We often pray, Lord, make them fruitful, give them fruit for their work, for their labour, make them fruitful. You cannot be fruitful unless you're faithful. And so the faithfulness is the condition for being fruitful in every good work. Uh, And so bearing fruit is the result of faithfulness. And our prayers for each other simply is this, is, is, is Lord not make them fruitful, make them faithful. Because if you're faithful, built on a firm foundation and your roots go down deep, it says you will naturally become fruitful anyway. It says, you know, when you plant a fruit tree, if you get the conditions right, fruit will just naturally grow. It will just naturally grow. You don't, you, you don't have to go out and cajole it, and you don't have to, in a sense, go out and persuade the fruit to grow, and you don't have to set up conditions for the fruit to grow. All you've got to do is get the conditions right for the fruit to grow. In the Christian life, the condition for the fruit to grow is to be faithful. It's as simple as that. that that's all it is. It's to be faithful to the study of the word. It's to be faithful to prayer. It's to be faithful to worship. It's to be faithful to fellowship. It's to be faithful to the gathering of the people in church. If you are faithful, you will bear fruit. And so this is the prayer that Paul has for them when he simply would say that they would bear fruit in every good work. And and then he prays for them again. And the second prayer that he prays for them is this, is that they would increase in their knowledge of God. Now the problem that they had here in, in Colossians is this, is the heretics were trying to influence the church. They were promising the, the followers of Christ that uh, they had some new knowledge. They come along with some new ideas. They come along with something that they, they said and, 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 uh, and this was simply self-serving that actually what God or, or wanted to do in their life, this new knowledge, was to simply, you know, it was all about them. It was all about increasing their self. It was in, all about making them special and stuff. And, and, and self-serving can never be the aim of the Christian life. It must always be serving others. And Paul talks about that all the way through his letters. Why? Because the purpose of the Christian life is not how can I feel most useful, but how can I be most useful? If you're struggling sometimes with, oh, God can't use me, or God doesn't use me, or I'm not getting any opportunity, sometimes you've just got to, rather than wait for the opportunity, and I've said this many times, you you work for the opportunity. Which means when the opportunity for something to be done in church presents itself, you volunteer. Uh, So that doesn't matter whether it's hoovering up or stacking chairs or or being involved in the kids' work or doing whatever. When the opportunity presents itself, because you then move from feeling to being. And the Christian life is about being, it's not about feeling. And so we then move ourselves on. And Paul sort of says this to them because he knows that they're getting influenced uh, from the heretics who are trying to go and say, listen, all this stuff about God, the heretics are saying, it's really all about you, about what God can do for you and, and, and the fulfillment that you have. And a little bit much like some of the messages we may hear today from different places. Uh, you know, the, the, all those messages have come and, and we hear those, but actually they're nothing new. 
And yet Paul is actually helping them and showing them to understand that actually the, when you talk about the knowledge of God, actually the knowledge of God is simply about knowing God. The Paul's prayer is that the Colossians fully attain to and be controlled by the fullest and clearest knowledge of God's will. And in previous weeks, we've said this. If you want to discover the will of God, you have to be in the word of God. You will not discover the will of God outside of the word of God. There is no prayer that somebody will pray for you. There, there, there is no dream or, or anything that you will have that will contradict the word of God when it comes to the will of God. And so we find the will of God in the word of God. So Paul prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, we look at this and say, well, does this mean that, 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 that what does this mean? Does, does this mean God is interested in every decision I make? Does, it, does this mean that, you know, it matters to God what I do day in, day out? It, you know, it does in the sense that what God wants you to do is spend time in his word, but spend time in his presence and getting to know him. So every decision, in a sense, is guided and directed by what he wants you to do and not what you want to do. And you see, you won't have that in your life if you're not spending time in his presence, in his word, by his spirit. And he's saying that simply this, uh, actually, if you want to know the way to live your life, it's revealed in God's word. Uh, and Paul is just simply saying that. He says, this knowledge that people have, there will always be people to come along and tell us there's a new way of doing things and there's this new knowledge. I and mean, if we just did this and it's not relevant anymore and so let's change a little bit here. And that's happened all the way down through history. But Paul actually just drives the point home to the church here in Colossians and says, listen, if you want to know God, uh, spend time in his word. Spend time in his presence. Once you have done that, you will then discover his will. And so that's what it means to being filled with that knowledge. It's a prayer that they would be controlled by knowledge, that it would simply govern and direct every decision they have to make in their lives. That's what it means for him praying for others. They would know what direction to go, but they would know what direction to go by the governance and the direction of his word. You see, God, knowledge of God's will will always be result from praying, remaining in his word, fellowship with him. It results in spiritual wisdom and it transforms our hearts and our lives. You see, a deeper knowledge of God brings with it an improvement in other areas as well. Our purity, our integrity, our willingness to sacrifice, evangelistic faithfulness, study of scripture, almost like when we make that the driving point in our life, before we come to make any decision, we're saying, what does the word of God say? What does the word of God say? How does it direct me in this particular situation and circumstance? Because that increased knowledge of God's will only comes through an increased knowledge of God's word. What does the word say about this situation and circumstance? And that's simply the prayer that Paul is praying for the church here in Colossians, that they would know the knowledge of his will, that the knowledge of his will would come through his word. And we see there that the third thing that, that Paul prays for is this. He prays that they would be strengthened with God's power. And we looked at this in previous weeks. But he gives them the reason here. He said they're strengthened with God's power so they could steadfastly and patiently endure trials. So whatever they're going through, it's a power of God 
that is strengthening them through the trials and the difficulties that they are facing. Often, sometimes, it's because people are spiritually ignorant that it's actually the reason why they find it difficult in the middle of trials and troubles and adversity. You see, whether we are on the mountaintop or whether we are in the valley, God is in control. Whether we are on the mountaintop or whether we're in the valley, God still loves us. Whether we are on the mountaintop or whether we're in the valley, God is still with us. Often, we become ignorant of that because we're spiritually ignorant of that because we just haven't spent time in his word looking at his will that God doesn't give up on us because we have a hard time uh, you know we looked at it a few weeks ago when Paul talks about my grace is sufficient for thee and the one thing that stood out for me and stood out for others is sometimes God removes the burden but sometimes God strengthens the shoulders that carry the burden but the truth of it is in both of those circumstances God is with us God is strengthening us for whatever it may be that we face and so that's a third prayer that Paul prays. And then he prays this other prayer when he says that they would joyfully give thanks to the Father for his great salvation. He talks about the qualification that we have. He says it talks about not in our own works. We, we gain this as an inheritance instead of earning it as a wage. You know, somebody that does a job for you and you're paying them a wage, you're giving them money for the job that they are doing that's a salary it's a wage this is not what Paul is getting he says Paul says this is an inheritance who gets an inheritance it's descendants it's heirs of the father and Paul is saying to the mirror almost joyfully that, that you give thanks here for your this great salvation that you have received because you haven't worked for it. And Paul wants them to understand that clearly. You haven't worked for it. It is an inheritance. And you know, when you get an inheritance, if somebody gives you an inheritance, you haven't done anything for it other than you've been related. You actually descended from the person who is granted the inheritance. And Paul is writing to the church here and said the reason you have the joy of this salvation and you've received this inheritance is because the son has paid the price on the cross for you and there was nothing we could do there to earn it work for it and pay it as I've said so many times before but we receive that inheritance today and it's why we give thanks to the father but it says that actually we do it joyfully we do it joyfully. We, we do it with joy in our hearts because there's just nothing I could do for it. There's nothing you could do for it. And we received that inheritance. And last week in the, the prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians, we listed the glorious riches that belong to us. And all of those are in inheritance. All of those that we could be joyful about this morning because the salvation we have is nothing from us but everything from him. And he prays that prayer for them. He says that they would joyfully give thanks to the Father for this great salvation. He say, we have been made sufficient. We have been made complete this morning because of what Christ has done on the cross. There is nothing more that can be done. We have access to the Father for what Christ has done it's no wonder we are joyful. It's no wonder he writes to the church finally and says, this is why you can be joyful. This is why you can give thanks. For he has done everything that needed to be done. And he prays that prayer over them as the final request. 
The team are going to come and lead us in a final song as we, as we pray this morning. But we take hold of this and we have not stopped praying. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. We thank you, Father God, for your mercy and your grace. And Father, as we, as we look at this prayer, Father, we finish with the request that Paul has that encourages the church to joyfully give thanks because of the salvation that is theirs through the Father. And Father, it's the same joy that we have today in this church for the salvation that we have from the Father is through nothing that we have earned, worked or paid for. It is our inheritance through your Son. And Father, we come and we can only come in response to worship you, to say thank you, to come with grateful hearts this morning for everything you have done for us. In Jesus' name.